It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Okay, you guys, you know I love these imagine if types of beginnings, right? So imagine you grew up an only child or, or whatever with siblings, a perfectly wonderful childhood, loving parents. And one day you decide on a whim as an adult to take one of those, you know, DNA tests and you find out you have a long lost brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, a different father. I mean, you see where I'm going with this? Ancestry has shocked, wait, I should say reunited families through technology in ways no one could have ever imagined. And no one knows that better or understands the importance of knowing where you came from than my guest today. Dev Liu is the CEO of Ancestry. Dev, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. Uh, I mean, listen, I'm fascinated by your company because I know so many people who have actually found long lost relatives or people they didn't even know existed. So as a little tease here for our listeners, at the closer to the end of this discussion, I'm going to ask you some of the craziest, best stories that you have seen develop when people have taken Ancestry DNA tests. And so everybody has to stay tuned through this. It's going to be easy because Deb's story is amazing. I, I do want to start with your childhood. I mean, and particularly through the prism of your ancestry. You grew up in tiny Hanahan South Carolina. I had to look it up on a map, okay? It is just northwest of Charleston, right? Yes. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is I was actually born in New York in Jackson Heights, Queens. My parents had settled there. They were immigrants to the U.S. And then, you know, when I was six years old, they picked up and moved to a small town in the Deep South. And, you know, they never actually explained at the time why they did this. But later they explained that my father they, they was working for a company that refused to honor his engineering degree. They kept him as a technician. And he was so frustrated that, you know, his friend who had actually gone down and his Indian friend had gone down and actually settled and worked for the government in, in South Carolina and said, come, I can get you a job here. And my parents picked up, went to a state they had never been in, a state that was less than 1% Asian, where we looked nothing like anybody else. And we began a new life. So his first area that he was working in as a Chinese immigrant, he had a U.S. degree in engineering. Why didn't they honor that? You know, my parents always believed that they were discriminating against him. He had fought for it. He pushed for it. He was doing the same job as engineers. And yet they refused. They kept him on the technician band because they said that, you know, he he didn't qualify. And so even though he had the qualifications, they, you know, they refused to acknowledge it. And he probably triangulated and distilled that as outright racism, right? Yeah, that's how he felt. He felt like it was racism and it was very difficult um, leaving behind, you know, the place that he had settled since coming to America and going to a a different place. But he had never regretted that decision because he felt like that was the way that he was going to advance his career and to raise his family. Well, you know, I'm a big believer in that. Uh, Every move is never a failure. People say, oh, I should have never taken that job. That was a mistake. No, no, no. There are no such things as mistakes because you're the one has, who gets to make it 
a, a success or a mistake. So there you are in Hanahan, South Carolina. And, and that must have been a shock to go from New York to South Carolina. Well, I just remember going to school and looking around. And for the first time, I realized no one looked like me. I grew up in a place, actually, my uncle and aunts, my cousins, you know, lots of my relatives actually live nearby. We grew up speaking Cantonese. I, you know, was with my own family. And suddenly I went to a place where we had no family, where no one spoke our language and no one even looked like me. And it was, I was in for a rude awakening. Now, people might not believe this of you today. I mean, you're an award-winning leader who, before Ancestry, worked at some of the bluest of the blue-chip companies in Silicon Valley. We'll have more on that in a moment. But you were actually introverted as a kid as a result of severe bullying. Talk a little bit about that. You know, being in a place where no one looks like you, it's really alienating. I mean, people would come up to us in the streets and say, go back to where you came from. I was always the other People are like, what are you? Where are you from? And when I would say, oh, I'm from New York, they're like, no, really. <laughs> and every single day, the kind of bullying around the foods we ate, you know, how different I looked, the fact that, you know, I didn't look like everybody else. It was just so difficult to kind of really feel like I ever belonged. And so I figured out that the way that I was going to succeed was to make myself as unobjectionable, as invisible as possible. And so I just learned to to suppress my voice, to never talk, to really kind of live in a silence that allowed maybe if no one noticed me, they would not make comments constantly. And I just remember the amount of bullying that I just endured throughout my entire childhood was just a reminder that I was always going to be different. I was always going to be the person who was not like everybody else. And so I learned to be as invisible as possible. And yet you then went to Duke University to study civil engineering and you were not invisible because you walked into those classes and you were one of, you know, negative four women in many of these classes. What was that like? Well, my dad was actually an engineer and my sister also. And so I thought I was going to study engineering. It didn't even occur to me that girls didn't study engineering until I got to my first physics class. You know, there's 70 people in the room and it was something like five or six girls. And Mm. I thought, wait, what happened? And I guess I, I never internalized the idea that girls shouldn't be engineers. And so I just wanted to follow my father and my sister's footsteps. And I did get that engineering degree, but I also learned a really important lesson is that you're not always going to be like everybody else. And you kind of have to figure out what your place is going to be as a result of that. You own it. Yeah. You embrace it and own it. Easier said than done. I mean, when you graduated and you dove into the real world, you realized, I'm sure, you, you can't be an introvert, right? How and where did you have to learn to put yourself out there? You know, when I got to consulting, so I was a consultant at Boston Consulting Group after I graduated, engineering school is amazing for me because you never had to talk. You could do problem sets in silence. You could get your projects done. And then I became a consultant, and I realized that there was a gap that really connecting with other people was not something I had the skills to do. Eventually, I went to business school, and I realized that this was something which I really struggled with, which is I needed to learn how to find my voice. And that was a process. I wish I could say that I knew I needed to do this and immediately it changed. But over the next decade, I really learned to slowly speak up for the things I believe in. I learned to slowly find my voice, which has led me here to where I am today. Deb, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I had the same conversation with Warren Buffett. He only has one diploma on his wall. Meantime, he graduated from Columbia, et cetera, et cetera. The only diploma he has on his wall is the I graduated from the Dale Carnegie How to Win Friends and Influence People class because he was so terribly shy, hard to believe now, 
that he had to take that class to get over that. So you're right. It doesn't just happen. You actually have to commit to it and fight through the discomfort. Am I right? Yeah, I think sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm naturally introverted, I'm shy, or I grew up in this way and I was bullied, and that's who we are. But you're allowing other people to define you or allowing how you were born Mm. to define you. But what if you said, these are skills I want to learn. Let's not treat this as a natural state, but instead say, these are skills. Speaking up is a skill. I don't have to become an extrovert, but I have to learn to speak up when it matters. I have to learn to fight for the ideas that I do have. I have to learn to support my team. And that means amplifying our work and really changing, turning it on its head where speaking up, connecting with people becomes a skill. It makes it so much easier because you're giving yourself permission to actually achieve it as opposed to saying, this is who I am. I was born this way. Yeah, never. And I want all of our listeners to know this. You do not let somebody else tell your story and you can change your story. You can alter the parts of you that you don't like by it takes work. I mean, it definitely does. And and Deb, you're living proof. This is Everyone Talks to Liz and we'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Let's get to those blue chip Silicon Valley companies. So you made the jump from consulting to the tech world. You did tours at PayPal and eBay. And then you went to Facebook where you created Facebook Marketplace, Facebook's version of eBay, right? Yeah, it's Facebook's, you know, experience of buying and selling on the site. We built it because actually it was interesting when I was interviewing for a job in 2009, I pitched the idea of building a marketplace where people can buy and sell on the platform. And I remember Cheryl indulgingly <laughs> smiled and, and thanked me for the idea. And then it was put on the shelf for about five, six years. Nice. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, in, in, in 2015, we really got a team together and I pitched it every year. I pitched it in the new ideas. I did hackathon projects and I kept saying, this could be the next big opportunity. This is what people are coming to Facebook to do. And I could see something other people couldn't see. So when I first got there, there were very few moms at the company. There were also very few women PMs. And so one of the things that I, I did was I said, you know, this is an idea where I could see something other people couldn't see. The product leaders at the company were saying, like the chief product officer said to me, 
Why would anyone want to buy anything on Facebook? And I said, I see an entire community of moms buying and selling. I bought my kids bicycles. I bought a refrigerator. I have actually, you know, bought entire, like I've traded things. I've sold things on marketplace. You know, this is an incredible opportunity. And I realized that I could see something other people couldn't see. And it was an opportunity for me to help bring that. And this is, you know, when I talk about why diversity matters, you want people with different perspectives who see your product and your customers in different ways. And in so many ways, because I was different than everybody else, I could actually build a product that eventually has over a billion people using it every month. I want our listeners, you guys, are you hearing this? Five years this thing was shelved. You don't take no for an answer. You keep fighting back. And, and you've, you know, you maybe alter it a little bit to make it a little more attractive to the person who's the decider. But your persistence, Deb, on that level to me is is very inspirational because each year you get the rejected. OK, again, Deb, no, not happening. Uh, what do you think finally did the trick that helped you convince them? Well, you know, one thing that was so important was I gathered a group of people who were excited about the idea too. A lot of them came from different backgrounds. So, you know, buying and selling is very common in a lot of emerging markets as well. And so I brought together a group of people who were really excited about it. Some of them were also moms or dads. They could also see the vision of what we were trying to create. And together, we actually made a pitch. We did a user research study. We showed that double digit percentages of users were actually already doing this organically on the platform. And suddenly it opened up and you know we got allies in Instagram they started working with us to actually build out a case for building Instagram shopping at the same time and so a lot of it was just the momentum around selling this idea but also finding allies who were there selling alongside with us got it got it excellent and then you are cooking along at Facebook and you're a high-ranking executive working on these huge projects and one phone call changes everything who was it? What happened? Jim Citrin is a Silicon Valley recruiter who recruits for boards and CEO positions across Silicon Valley. And he calls me up about a public company CEO position. And he said, I want you to interview for it. And I was really hesitant, honestly. And he, he took me out to dinner. It was right before COVID lockdown. It was the last dinner I had out. And he said, I want you to interview for this. And I said, why me? And he said, why not you? For every, every CEO has to have their first position. And mm. This is your chance. <sighs> and it was just really changed the way I looked at the world. For me, I was asking him to prove to me that I should be doing something. When he turned it around on me and he said, justify why you shouldn't try. It really changed the way mm. I looked at the world. And, you know, I threw my hat in the ring and that didn't work out, but it opened my mind to all the possibilities. So when they did call about the opportunity to be CEO of, of Ancestry, I was ready. Is that a... I hate to say this because because it I've dealt with it too. Is that a female thing where people give you this great opportunity and the first thing you think is, but I've never done it before. Why would you do that? Uh, I don't want to fail. I don't want to disappoint. I think it's a really human thing. And more so, I think women do feel it because, you know, women often have imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. You know, how could I lead a company? How would someone like me look, you know, leaders, CEOs of companies do not look like someone like me. They're rarely women and they're rarely women of color. And so I had terrible imposter syndrome and it was something where I couldn't even envision the idea of 
throwing my hat in the ring, much less actually getting the job. But it was so important that, you know, changing that mindset. I hope that we can change the mindset of all those little girls who are saying, well, maybe not me and actually saying, why not me? And open the idea that they could also rise to the top of an organization and the industry. You're such a great example in so many regards. So I'm a big fan of showing, not just telling people. And we're showing that somebody like you has been able to embrace all of this, absorb it, and then fight for it and get it and then live it. So you're now CEO of Ancestry. It's a whole different ballgame. you got to answer to people. You've got to figure out how to grow something like this. And I just want to know right off the bat, as you joined this company, what was your first goal as CEO? You know, my first goal was actually listening. This is a 35-year-old company with a rich history, with multiple CEOs and an incredible team. And I think the first and foremost thing that I did was actually do a listening tour. I sat down and I talked to 60 or 70 people. I spent the first month really just meeting people and saying, you know, I asked the same five questions. And each time I was, it was opening, it was like opening a page of a book and then flipping the page and learning something new. Mm. And so what I did was during that period, I absorbed everything, what people loved about the company, what they wished more of. And it was an, a huge opportunity for me to really coalesce the ideas within the company, but also to formulate my own ideas. At the end of that 30 days, I actually published a, a state of the union kind of what I heard reflected back to the company. And it was really, you know, candid. I shared some of the quotes from, from the employees. I shared some of the ideas that we had and also all the hopes for the future. And it was kind of a great level setting for everyone to kind of see and hear the company from a perspective of someone who was brand new and were there to listen. And now you've been there at least a year, correct? I mean, it's been fascinating, I am sure. I need to know the stories. I mean, I personally know two people, Deb, who in their adult life discovered through your company, half sisters and half brothers they did not know existed. Give me some of your wildest and favorite stories since you've been CEO or or things that have happened in the past that you've learned about from Ancestry. Well, some of the great stories I've heard are just how Ancestry are, is able to connect people. There was one person, his name is Matthew Robertson, and you know he was adopted as a child, but he lost his mother, unfortunately, when he was young. And so he was searching for his biological mother for years and years, actually starting in his 20s. And for 20 years, he just kept looking. And when he was 47, he got an Ancestry DNA kit. And guess what? He actually found his biological mother and three siblings. And suddenly he has a whole new family, a mother that, you know, he had never met. And it was just a chance. You know, he says that ancestry has given me another chance to experience a mother's love. And so he reunited with them and they actually met and made up for lost time. And so it's so incredible to kind of hear these stories of people who had this mystery and really he was missing something in his life that he Mm. lost when his mother passed away. And he was able to find another family that he can be a part of today, almost 50 years later. That's the happy side of it. I can only imagine, though, Deb, there are, as I said, shocking sides to it sometimes where, wait, dad had another wife and now I have a, a brother. You know, how do you navigate through something like that? I'm sure there are all kinds of papers that need to be signed, etc. But this has got to be an interesting sort of side window of this business. Well, I think people discover all sorts of of secrets, family secrets that Mm. they never knew. And some of those are happy secrets and some of those are not. Mm -hmm. And actually one of the things that we do is we actually make sure our member services team are able to talk through some of these things. People will call 
with a lot of questions. And we don't always have the answers, honestly, because a lot of those answers are with people, some of whom are not with us anymore. And so really helping people process that is some of the work that we have to do, and also giving them resources to those who can help them through that. You know, it's a journey. We often hear from someone in the moment of shock, and then as they go through the process, and a lot of times they'll come back later and actually share with us what actually happened later, which was they were able to reflect on it, come to terms with it. And so we do see that. And, you know, DNA has a lot of a lot of secrets in it, and it gives us the opportunity to open doors to connect with family that we never knew. But some of those things, as you open those doors, you know, you might not love what's on the other side initially. And so really helping people through that journey is part of what we do as well. I think the whole thing is fascinating. There, there's a book in that, I am sure, of all the stories, but you are actually working on a book, and it's focused specifically on guiding. Talk about that. Yeah, so my book is called Take Back Your Power, 10 New Rules for Women at Work. And I wrote this book because I had made so many mistakes in my life as a, as a woman leader in a male-dominated field. And I learned from so many amazing women the stories of how they were able to overcome some of the obstacles and turn them into stepping stones to their success. And so, you know, I, I thought many years ago that I have all these lessons to share. And so I started actually coaching women. So about eight years ago now, I started coaching women, you know, 10, 15 minutes at a time. I'll do a quick coaching session if mm -hmm. I have time. And I've coached over a thousand women. And I realized that in all of those women, there were so many of these commonalities. So much of the advice I was giving was very similar. So I decided to compile it into a book and share it so that, you know, in the future, women can unblock themselves when they reach those obstacles, that they can actually learn the things that they're doing that, that are keeping themselves from being more successful and then opening the door to new opportunities as well, learning to ask, learning to carve their own path, finding their voice, forgiveness, finding balance at home, all of these things that can make you much more successful in the workplace and at home. Well, thank you for sharing the wealth, because now people can buy the book because not everybody can get 15 minutes of your time. That's for sure. When does it come out? The book comes out in August, and I look forward to having everyone read it and share their feedback as well. Yeah, and you should come on the show so that they, all of our listeners can watch and listen and see it develop. And I think it's just, it's just wonderful. Okay, my last question. Have you done an ancestry test? And did you find out anything fascinating that you didn't already know? Well, I did an ancestry test with my entire family. And as family of immigrants, where we trace our family back from the history rolls of right. our village yeah. in China, in southern China, there were fewer surprises for us, unfortunately. I think <laughs> I was kind of hoping for something interesting. But, you know, it's really fascinating is I've had family who have found really interesting things. My brother-in-law found that he's 20% Native American. His mother is 40-something percent Native American. They had no idea. Whoa. And so he's actually of Hispanic descent, and he has been part of he, his family's been American for many, many generations. And it was just a really interesting moment where he discovered something about himself. And then we actually worked with our pro genealogist and we hired them to help them trace back how the Native American roots have come about. And so it's been really interesting as the journey to see kind of his journey unfold too. Ah, secrets unfolding, fascinating stuff. Deb, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the time. It was wonderful being here. Yeah, I mean, hey, you guys, right? 
she tried five years to get something passed over at Facebook and finally she does it. And then <laughs> now she's the CEO of this amazing company. It can be done. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. And that's what these stories are showing you each and every week. And I'm so grateful that you tune in and you download and you listen to Everyone Talks to Liz because I am going to do my very best to always bring you these riveting, amazing stories of success. Thanks so much for joining us once again. And Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox Biz. It's the Claim and Cowtown. You can see me every single day. You're probably sick of me already, though. I'll see you next time. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.